When is the last time you listened to a podcast about web development, web design, and small business and didn't fall asleep? Yes, we cover web development, web design, and small business, but like actual human beings with personalities. If you're a beginner, we're not going to talk over your head. It's more like asking your buddy for help. We have guests, we have fun, and let me tell you, these two can get off on a tangent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to HTML All The Things Podcast. This is Matt Lawrence and Mike Curran. That's right, everybody. We are back. This is the HTML All The Things Podcast. This episode is titled CSS Browser Support. When can I use this? This In this episode, we're going to be talking about the disparity of features across browsers. We're going to touch on a bit of history and, I mean, actively happening a little bit with IE support. We're also going to be talking about modern support, modern disparity with between modern browsers. Get rid of IE. We're not talking about IE in that particular category. We're also going to be talking about when can you start using a new feature and also compatibility technologies that we use such as at supports and CSS to get things working. And then Mike's going to touch on a couple of little things, a little bit of JS in there maybe as well. So if this sounds interesting, you want to support the show, you can go check us out on that Patreon, leave a review or rating on your podcast app, join us in our discord server or share this with your friends. And remember, we also have a Scrimba discount link. If you want to save on their subscriptions, go check out our Scrimba link. It will be in the show description and in the show notes on htmlallthethings.com. So you might be wondering, what is browser support disparity? Well, basically what it is, just to sort of, you know, in a nutshell, if you will, it's the different browsers being at different versions supporting different features. And obviously we're zooming in on CSS. There is some JS stuff, but we're zooming in on CSS in this particular episode because there was a famous bit of browser disparity that plagued the web development sphere years ago and a little bit today, and that is Internet Explorer. So back in those IE days, there was a lot of feature disparity between versions. And I mean versions of IE itself. Now, this is, you know, not necessarily, I'm not here to rag on IE, although I will, I'm sure, a little bit. But IE, to be fair, was one of the first browsers. And so the internet is basically, you know, being invented. So uh, every year things are coming out that are way more advanced and the internet's being used for new things and more people are going online and people are discovering what the internet means and what it is. And, you know, emails being sorted, you know, everyone's getting email accounts and those type of things. So as a sort of pioneer, you're going to have major changes. The same thing can be said about older computers as well. Whereas I just got rid of a 12 year old computer that was able to, I mean, albeit slowly do all modern things including play the new Baldur's Gate 3. It was still able to do that. Not very well, but it was still able to do that. Back then, when IE, you know, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 11 is where it ended, as you as you went, every year you bought a computer, you bought a computer in, you know, whatever year it was, say 2000. By 2001, boom, you're way out of date. And not like a little out of date. You're, like, you're way out of date. There's a big disparity. And then that disparity goes down, down, down. So kind of to zoom back in to IE, What's an example of what I mean? Well, the two latest versions is IE 11 and IE 10. Those are the two latest versions. And CSS has a very popular feature called Flexbox. You've probably heard of it, Display Flex. It only has partial support in IE 10 and IE 11. 
So you can imagine when IE was sort of, you know, discontinued or not being used too much and these modern browsers sort of kicking around Chrome and that type of thing, you can imagine the disparity there. But there's disparity between 10, IE 10, and IE 11. So for example, IE 10 only supports Flexbox at the 2012 syntax with the MS prefix, the dash MS prefix, which is the Microsoft prefix. Then when IE 11 comes out, it partially supports Flexbox, but it doesn't require the MS prefix. So already there's some weird things. And because they both only partially support Flexbox, both IE 10 and IE 11 have many Flexbox bugs. So if you're working on a modern browser, let's say, or let's say you're working between IE 11 and IE 10, you may find a bug, you, you, you make it, you make it, let's say your site is only gonna be run on IE for some reason. You make a website with Flexbox, and it just doesn't work across the two versions. There might be a bug that like makes IE 10, you know, render in a little tiny corner or IE 11, you know, fly off to the right or something like that. There's bu many bugs here. So, and IE 10 and IE 11 both do not support some very popular Flexbox properties, including flex wrap and aligned content. And here's a big kicker for the modern browser angle. IE 10 and IE 11 does not support, or excuse me, does not have the same default value for the flex property. So in the Internet Explorer case, it's zero, zero auto. In modern browsers, it's zero, one auto. That sounds like it's not a big deal. That's a real pain. It is a massive pain because you're going to be like, why is this not working? Like, you know, what, what's going on here? So we have disparity within IE versions. We've touched on disparity between IE and modern browsers. And it's sort of like, okay, there's a huge headache here. And Mike and I've seen this tons and tons of times on Stack Overflow when we first got started. People were trying to get things working for IE, not 10, not 11, IE 6, IE 7, IE 8, trying to get these old, old, old versions running because Internet Explorer was installed by default on Windows PCs. And Internet Explorer therefore had a huge user base even as modern browsers like Chrome and Firefox started coming out and were available, many people just use what's on the computer. And so the people that were trying to support these old Internet Explorer versions felt that this support, even though it's cumbersome and difficult to navigate, let's say, around all these issues, it's crucial because so many people are going to continue using it. And we saw people complaining about, you know, hey, IE in general, you know, IE 11, the latest one, or just IE overall has dropped below 5% or whatever the number was. Why does my employer want this? And we're going to touch on that in a little bit. But this disparity did not just leave us in the past. This isn't an episode, you know, talking about memory lane. There is modern disparity as well. So Internet Explorer is largely dead. Some people still need to support it, but it is end of life. Most people don't support that anymore. That's gone. But in the modern age, there is some disparity. So most famously, or at least most famously in my circles, I suppose, even as late as 2023, there's still this disparity. And the thing I'm noting here is has CSS has it's a pseudo class and it officially launched in Firefox as of December 2023, having previously in previous versions been hidden behind a flag or not supported at all. If you go way back, Chrome, however, and here's the disparity has supported has since version 105. 105 was released on August 29th, 2022. So overall, as of writing this, the global usage stat is 
0.14%. In comparison, Flexbox is at 98.01%. So now we have a question here. So like, let's say you're you're making, you know, you're, you're doing your stuff with, uh, with has, you know, you're working away, you're doing this thing and has is right now because of this disparity, because of this delay in, or partially because of this delay in, in whatever is only at 90.14% usage. And Flexbox says at 8%, approximately 8% lead on that is 90, 90% enough. Or are these larger companies or even you as an agency going to be scared to use has with this disparity, you know, there's 10% of global usage or a little under of 10% global usage is not, it's, they're not compatible yet. So when can you start using a feature like this? Oh, this question has been around for so long, but it's become less and less important. I think like I, I, I haven't weirdly enough, the last few projects that I've worked on, I have not considered what I can and cannot use. I don't know if that's a um, indication of the frameworks doing something in the background that can, you know, stop me from having to worry about it. Or the fact that CSS has such good built in features that are 100% supported, that I just don't reach for any unsupported features at this point, like has is cool, has is absolutely cool. But it is a pretty edge case thing. Like, I don't see you using it in every project that you build. Like, this is something like where you where you would use it specifically for whatever, you know, fits the has property. Um, yeah, it's weird. Like, it's 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 a strange it's a strange feeling because I used to like like Matt said, I, you know, IE support was a nightmare. And we used to really think about that. Every project, every page that we built had to have some consideration for is the support or not, especially with the box model, like the margins and and stuff like that, like you, what, the switch between flex and, and the box model was the biggest one for me, at least like when flex was a hundred percent supported, not a hundred percent, but 99% support or something like that. It was a no brainer to start using it, but there hasn't been that shift in the last probably 10 years. Like there hasn't been that like, or probably eight, nine years, something like that. Um, which is interesting. It's interesting. So yeah, I'm, I don't know. Like, I, I don't, I don't know when I would start using nature. So I'm curious what, what you have to say on that. I would like to actually kind of zoom back in on those stats that I said for for a moment. So like the global usage stat, again, as of writing this for has the pseudo class is at 90.14% and Flexbox is at 98.01. But there's even a nuance there. The 98.01 is from can I use and I will, of course, link this in the show notes. However, it is not just, you know, hey, fully supported 98.01. It's that is a combination of the unprefixed and fully supported Thing. So there's still like a little bit of nuance there. And you might be wondering, you know, why, why is there nuance there? Like, you know, once Firefox gets it, gets the update, like, just do it, just do it. Well, there's going to be people that don't have auto update on, or they intentionally ignore updates. There's going to be people that maybe they have a very old computer and they've barely hacked on a modern browser on there. And so a certain update may start breaking or causing performance problems to their browser. And so they may roll back to an old version and then those people are held back behind. So this is where things kind of start getting a bit muddy and start becoming maybe a little preferential. Like, is 90% support enough? Well, many of the cases for Internet Explorer was that at the time it was above 5%. Then it was, oh, no, no, it's above 3%. Oh, no, it's above zero. We heard 0.5% at one point where people were talking. These are just in forums. They don't have any sort of formal statistics. But people were saying, like, we can't drop IE support until it drops below this, you know, super low below 1% sort of thing, because we're scared of the 1% and what's going to happen. And Mike, like you and I, 
because you know, we're a small business, it was like, okay, this is actually too much to learn the modern stuff, do the modern stuff, then also do the old stuff. And then we're having trouble testing the old stuff because we don't have like a computer lab. So we don't have an old computer that's running these things. And yes, even on Edge, modern Edge, you can run things in Internet Explorer mode. You can absolutely just by using the overflow menu. But, you know, no, like no one's doing that, you know, really seriously. Are they? And then these sort of questions and these nuances, you know, drive this question. When can you start using a new feature? And just like how muddy the water is now with all this disparity, the answer is it depends. <laughs> It depends on your technical needs. So just like many other answers in the world, it's not just black or white. It's quite literally some sort of gray right in the middle. So I have an analogy that I use for a lot of websites, and I actually bring this up to customers because this is a, a sort of real world physical example that they can understand. And no, it's not about cars. It's actually about cell phones. So my analogy for most websites is this. Think of your website as an app, and that app needs to support phones. Makes sense. Smartphones. but we want to not support every smartphone to save time. We want to support certain smartphones. So what are your goals? Well, if you want widespread availability, which most websites do, then it would not be a good idea to skip modern iPhones. And by modern, I mean up to, you know, five, six years ago, even because they're very popular. You don't want to cut out the latest iPhone. You don't want to cut out the iPhone from three years ago. That's widespread. People are going to use the iPhone and by association Safari right on the phone. Just like how Safari is built in and shipped with the iPhone, Internet Explorer was shipped with Windows. So we have to consider this. Now, here's the question, though. So what about a different type of phone? Would it be wise to spend time supporting the Samsung Galaxy S3 from 2012? I mean, it's over 10 years ago now. Is that wise? Well, unless your user base specifically uses Galaxy S3s, chances are most of your user base has moved on to more modern phones. And therefore, it doesn't makes sense, especially on a budget. Again, this is a, a scenario for most websites. It does not make sense for you to spend time supporting the Galaxy S3. Now, again, I'm not talking necessarily browsers. This is a, an analogy with just for smartphones. So you might say like, yeah, but I can install a browser on my phone and this and that, whatever, you know, you know, uh, we can change that. We can change that. That's not the point of the analogy. It's just solely an app running on these phones. So which phones do you care about? And what happens in many of my client meetings, I've had this two or three times now where I've been like, what cell phones are in the room? Quite literally, what cell phones are in the room? What are they? Well, I have a, you know, an iPhone X or 10. It's like, well, you don't have an iPhone, like base iPhone. You don't have an iPhone 3G. So let's not worry about the iPhone and the iPhone 3G. How many of your friends have iPhone 3Gs? How many of your friends have Galaxy S3s or S4s still, right? So analogy glasses off now. The browsers are the phones. Let's not support the old ones for your particular use case necessarily. And so we're going to explore that right now. Before we jump in, I have, I have a couple of examples of this and a couple of actually like very related to phone examples, um, because the phone is a little bit different in the sense that in, in terms of browsers, like a phone can update a browser, right? So it's not a direct, like that's why Matt was saying it's an analogy. It's not a direct comparison, but having said that, uh, the web views on the phones themselves, which is what essentially when you click on a link inside of a third party application, a web view will pop up. That's not using the browser. That's using a web view, which is built into the operating system of the phone. And those, if your phone hasn't been updated for a while, can have issues with the usage, right? So if you're targeting, you know, making sure that a phone isn't 
supported and stuff like that, or you're targeting an operating system and you're like, I don't really care because they could just download the latest version of Chrome on their phone. No, like that's not the case. Uh, I'll give you an example of where this mattered to me. When I was working for a project a few years ago now, probably like five years, um, we were supporting different Android devices, like different tablets and stuff like that. And all a few of them were severely different Android versions, anywhere from Android like 7 to Android 11, I think. Those are the, the ranges that I was supporting. And the what works in Android 7 in a web view is very different than what works in Android 11. And I've been caught in this a couple of times where I was actually developing something in CSS Grid for the first time. And it was working perfectly fine on my machine. And it was working perfectly fine on the tablet that I was testing, right? Everything was great. But when we went to the client and showed them it on their machine and their tablet, didn't work. CSS Grid wasn't supported. So this is direct, like, and I got screwed. Like I had to essentially stay up overnight to rewrite everything in Flexbox fortunately the client was okay with that. Like he was like, okay, that's fine. Like, I'll give you, I'll give you another chance. And uh, everything worked out fine. But these kinds of things, like you have to, when you're working in like a dev shop or when you're working for a very specific use case, you have to really take this into account when you're working for a general public application. And those are like a random website or you're making a website for like, you're just making something for the web that's supposed to target everyone. It's a different perspective than when you're working for like something, hey, I'm making a, a website that's only going to target mechanics in my local region, right? If you're if, if you go look at mechanic shops, they're not running the latest MacBooks or the latest uh, like iPhones. They're running piece of crap like Lenovo's from 10 years ago. Like they're probably running Internet Explorer still. So yeah, that could be a, a consideration for you because again, it all depends on context. Who are you targeting? What is your app going to be using? Most of the time, yeah, like you can probably forget about the S3, but maybe the fleet of like maybe the the mechanic shops that you're targeting has a fleet of S3s for all of their client for all of their uh, employees to be able to communicate with their front office or something. I don't know. It's a random thing, but it could happen. Find the context. That's a very good point is, you know, my analogy is is just for most websites where people come to us as an agency, ask us for a marketing website. We build it on whatever tool they ask, WordPress, Webflow, whatever or custom, that's fine. And then we build it. But they're just asking for the widespreadness. What about these little sort of nuances? And I've broken this down into, you know, a few questions you should kind of ask yourself or like things that you can, you know, sort of look at and gauge audience expectations and things like that. So we'll jump into the first one here, which is where is your website running? This is exactly what Mike was just talking about. A question might be, is your website not actually a public website, but an intranet? It's on an internet in a company that solely uses Safari. So that means that you can use anything that is Safari proprietary. Or if Safari pushes out a feature before everyone else, then you can use that, assuming everyone in the company has to be at that Safari version. The An intranet is a very private place. It's not the people at large. And the devices in large companies are often fleeted. But then, you know, again... Is your intranet all Safari? Then sure. But is it, oh, we're all Safari, but here we go, you know, but we do some contractors, they use their own personal devices. It's like, okay, now I have to consider a little bit wider spread. You know, do you, are they all Apple devices that they have to use or is it not? So you have to see where your website is running and what your website is running on, like Mike said. Because in the modern day, like just recently, I was able to change my web view actually 
in Android to Edge. Like I use Edge on Android and I was able to change all my web views to Edge. But previous to this update, it's all in the system. Like like Mike said, it's all from the Android system. Like this is a brand new thing I did like three days ago or something like that. It asked me and I did it. So like, you know, I don't know when that update exactly dropped, probably a couple months ago and I just noticed the feature, but like it certainly isn't, you know, widespread. Like I'm in the space and I just, I just started using it. So that's not going to have 90% use case. 90% global usage by any means. That's ridiculous, right? So next question here. Do you care about widespread? What about widespread at scale? So in the analogy, the sort of, you know, smartphone app on smartphones analogy, we already touched on situations where you you want to be available widespread. Like the, the analogy covers that, right? Hey, not let's not spend time on that Galaxy S3. Let's spend time on those modern iPhones and those modern Android phones, right? But widespread at scale is a little bit different. So let's say you're going to skip browser support for some sort of browser that has a five-ish percent market share. And let's say for whatever reason, you know, you're actually cutting that browser out. Like this website's not going to work properly on that browser, meaning that you're appealing to about 95% of the market. For most websites, this sounds very appealing. Not the 5%, the 95%. It's like, whoa, we're hitting 95% of the market. That sounds amazing. That sounds really good. Imagine having a 90, 95% click-through rate. It'd be like, what is going, what's going on here type thing. So the offer, like the, what, what happens is, is this offers a way for you to say, okay, we're hitting 95% of the market. We're happy with that. The 5%, that other browser is our stretch goal, right? That's for most websites. That's our stretch goal. But what about big websites? We're talking at scale here. Well, what if 5% is $2 million a year in revenue? What if that's their numbers? And they go, uh, you know, yeah, you know, the rest of the market is generating us way more than 2 million. The 95 is generating us way more than 2 million. I don't want to leave 2 million on the table though, at scale. Most websites, they don't care because they're not getting enough click-through rate out of the 5%. But these big guys, they might have out of the 5% with their numbers and all the rest of it, leaving millions on the table. This is why enterprise-grade websites support such old browsers. And that's also why enterprise-grade CMSs feel so old is because they support old things and new things simultaneously because they're trying to prevent leaving money on the table. Building websites at scale at a scale like this is really, really different. It's absolutely different. Mike and I, you've dealt with, you and I have dealt with, with um, clients where they've asked us, Hey, would you take over our enterprise CMS? We've gone and looked at the, at the licensing. And one of them was literally $60,000 a month the license for us to get started. And I was like, I can't like, this is out of our league. We're not doing this type thing. Cause if they, if they, you know, if they abscond with our money, we're out 60, we're out 60 K just for working for the first month. It's not going to, it's not going to happen. Right. This is a different world. Building websites at these sort of enterprise scales at these huge scales is way different than working on the smaller websites where the 95 is like, hell yeah, that's great forget the 5%. That's a stretch goal. We'll deal with that later. No, no, no. These guys want a hundred percent or as close to hundred percent as they can get. And also Mike mentioned this as well. There are also niche markets such as certain trades that may focus on different technology. So what does that mean? Well, in auto repair, they're going to learn about, you know, the new car computers, the new bumpers, and, you know, maybe a little bit about electric cars these days and those type of things. They're not worried about the technology 
outside of cars. Like they're not worried about, oh my God, I don't have an SSD in my laptop, my work laptop. What do I do? Right. So they may be purchasing parts from your website from an old Windows laptop still running IE 11, maybe even IE 10 at this point. Do you want to give up that revenue? What if you're an at scale huge part manufacturer? Are you going to give up IE support? Probably not. Or you're going to be very hesitant to until that 5% goes to like one or maybe 0.5 or like whatever, right? So that that is a big question for you. Do you care about being widespread in a normal sense versus do you care about being widespread at scale? Totally different thing. If Mike and I with HTMLThings.com, if we could appeal to 95% of the market of web developers, that's a damn good day. That's just a good day. If if we were making a million dollars per percent, I would not want to leave five million on the table. Certainly not. Yeah, considering the like the the cost to build the functionality to support that is much less mm-hmm. than the cost that they would generate. That that's how they're gonna that's how they're gonna approach it, right? Like they're like if 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 the ninety five percent cost, for instance, if you're a small company, to get that extra five percent is gonna cost double. Like if it's a 10K website, it's going to cost 20K to get to the 5%, like the 100%, the full the full scope. It doesn't make sense for a small company because they can get 95% of the way there for half the price. For a huge company, again, Matt mentioned 2 million, it's going to get there, right? Like it's, it, it, it's, it's an easy yes at that point. Even if it's 200K to 400K, even if it's double the cost of the development to get there, you're still making a ton of money on top of that 200K. That's why like value-based building is so important and stuff like that. You have to take these things into account when you're billing a, a big company because you might have to support different little things like this that they, that matters to them. One thing, one other thing I did want to mention is that like supporting, like when we say you support these like older browsers, that doesn't mean that your experience between new browsers and old browsers has to match one-to-one. A lot of times how it works nowadays is that the support degrades. So like if you need to support, if amazon.com needs to support IE, which it probably does, right? Like, again, we're talking about the the, the scale here. I'm going I'm to try as you talk. I'm going to try amazon.ca in, a, in a, an Internet Explorer tab. You correct. keep talking. I'm going to see. Yeah, do that. What we're probably going to see is that it will support it, but it's going to be a different experience. Stuff won't load dynamically. Stuff will be much more static. You'll, you'll see weirder loading times. You might not even see some of the same products in the same places because the way it fetches data is different. Like it's going to be a very degraded experience, but the experience will make it so that you could still do the things that you need to do, which is find the product, search for it and buy it. Right. Like that. That's how usually and I, I'm, I'm seeing Matt's reaction right now. Uh, I'm not sure if that's the case, but I'm, that's how usually these supports go. You're not. You don't have to support every feature. You just have to make sure that the experience is usable. Yeah. So I'm in Internet Explorer mode. I did not set a compatibility mode, which is absolutely which I which is absolutely another bit of nuance that I forgot about. So I just left it in default. Didn't toggle anything on. I'm in the latest version of Edge. Uh, and like, yeah, there's some old school stuff here. Drop down lists are left to the system, I would say, or look look like it anyway. Uh, there's a there is a slider animation, but then I went to a product carousel and there's not an animation. <laughs> like there, it looks look good. And this drop down doesn't work. <laughs> this this one drop down is does not work. Yep. So it's a degraded experience. But if you needed to buy a product, you could probably still do it. Yes, that's, that's the point. Yeah. And also logged me out, which I in which I was logged in. So it also asked me, just as a little bit of a joke, I guess, if I wanted to open it in Internet Explorer next time. And let me tell you, I don't. <laughs> I don't need that. <laughs> 
So, I mean, clearly it's not supporting modern auth to some extent, or maybe IE is a IE mode's a bit of a container. I'm not sure how it works. I'm just kind of playing with it right now. But yeah, I mean, Mike's 100% right. And this is actually something we're going to touch on, um, which I'll, I'll just touch on right now, uh, it, it, which is audience expectations. Like the owners of these old computers and these old browsers will see their web experience degrade over time. And even if they're, you know, not in the loop of technology, they're still aware that tech is moving on beyond them and that they're going to start seeing weird artifacts, weird, weird, uh, you know, problems with their Internet Explorer, um, with their web experience. They're probably even, you know, maybe using an iPad at home and that's more modern. And they're like, man, my laptop at work sucks type thing. So like there, you know, there, there's a kind of a management of expectation there. That is something you also need to consider as well. It's like, what does the auto repair dude want? to do on your parts website. He wants to buy things. He isn't there to be like, I'm watching this slider because I love this slide animation. He wants to buy that muffler so he can put install it for the client and move on and make some money. So their, their experience can, you know, be degraded, managed the, uh, by managing the audience expectation. Basically, don't deliver a bad experience. Get the majority of the things working for them as you can. Just make sure that they're able to use the site. If it's a blog, they're able to read it. If it's an e-commerce store, they're able to buy things in a secure, hopefully in whatever way. But just it is something absolutely to consider because, I mean, many of our sites, Mike, like you and I, we don't our sites that we've built for people. They don't support IE. They haven't in a long time unless it's been specifically asked for. And we do charge extra for that. Um, so like even if we like Amazon.ca loaded pretty good in IE, a little bit of, you know, a little bit of uh, jank there. but. Being somebody that used to use IE, that looked like IE. And so my expectations were managed successfully, let's say. I also read another school of thought, and I thought this was interesting. I saw this on Stack Overflow just somewhere in passing. Um, and that comes to, you know, browser support, of course. But what they what they were kind of saying was that you should act based on data, meaning analytical data. What they were basically saying was that, you know, set your site up to work presumably the way you would expect it to. So let's say, you know, widespread, you just sort of appeal to the to modern browsers and then make sure you have analytical data so that you can see like, oh, shoot, you know, a, a good portion is coming in from an old version of Firefox. I have to remove or have some sort of compatibility for that has, let's say that I have um, or, you know, a lot of people are coming from IE. I need to do some sort of compatibility mode. And so just to act on your analytics and a lot of large companies will do this. Of course, of course, when I was mentioning, you know, the 95 versus 5% and the money, that's all statistics. And this is a part of it too, where they'll see, oh, you know, our particular users are no longer using IE. We'll get rid of it. Our particular users are using IE. Let's do this. And so that's acting upon the data. There's a couple of things I didn't want to mention here though. Is not, just thinking about sort of like the every the everyday site, if you're like, OK, I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to appeal to the latest version of, you know, Chrome, Firefox and Samsung Internet and all that, all that stuff, all the modern browsers. I'm going to appeal to all that stuff and you appeal to them and you don't appeal to any other older version. People who come to your site that may be on a modern browser that just are on a slightly older version and have a problem could be alienated by doing it this way. They might go like, oh, like this is kind of rough. You know, I, I might not be back. And so sure, like that traffic that came in that that now is in your analytics and prompted you to say, oh, I should do an IE update. 
I feel like you might lose a little bit of that traffic because you're not going to like do an announcement like we're now IE compatible, everybody like this is fantastic unless you're in an intranet or something very specific. So there's a bit of a risk ish there. I don't know how big it is. It's just something that came to mind. Whereas if I went to like Amazon on my browser and it didn't work and then I just was like, okay, I'm just going to go on my phone and purchase things. I wouldn't really keep trying Amazon over and over again on my computer. I would just start using my phone. So I've already kind of been alienated. So just kind of like something there. There's also a happy side effect of this sort of act on data method. And this is where you end up analyzing data that may help improve your site's UX. So for example, you know, you build a thing and this, I've seen this actually quite a bit. People make a website, they deal with techies. So a lot of the techies are helping them, you know, sort of vet the site. Maybe it's a web app of some sort. And they're all using like they, the person developing and the people that are testing are all using develop or uh, desktops. But then the analytics, once the site actually launches, shows that most of the traffic is coming from mobile, which is really not out of the realm of possibility. You might go, oh, shoot, my mobile site is just okay. Maybe it's time to act on that data and just make it better. So, you know, being informed just in general, not necessarily for browser support only, although that's part of it, as we already discussed, is totally something you should be, you know, read your analytics, understand them and make decisions on them. It's a school of thought. Absolutely. So just another sort of bit of nuance there or something else to check when it's like, hey, can I use this feature? Now, I know we've talked about, you know, can we use this feature? Can we do this? Can we do that? Sometimes you're going to have to use things that are just not supported in, let's say, Internet Explorer, an old version of Firefox, an old version of Chrome, whatever. And so we have, meaning the, the community, has compatibility technologies where we can check if things work, there's workarounds, yada, yada. I'm going to talk about those right now. First one is probably the most popular is can I use can I use as a website absolutely will be linked in the show notes. It is a website that allows you to see browser features and how their compatibility stacks up with others. The site also includes the percent of support. So that was all those notes that I said earlier where like this one had 98% that one had two and about or this one had 90% and yada yada. That those figures came from can I use it will also note special cases like it'll say, hey, this is actually partial support. This support works, but it's behind a flag, meaning you have to go into the settings and like flip things, flip, flip a flag on, which most people won't do because it's not on my default. So there's that. So this is a website that's super, super valuable. I don't even know if there's another website like it. So if it went away, I don't even know what we would do. <laughs> I guess this is where I check for literally all my CSS compatibility and a little bit of JS here and there. So yeah, I will link that in the description. Next thing here, at supports. So at supports is a CSS feature, literally like the at symbol supports is a CSS feature that you can use to check if a particular uh, feature, like a property or whatever, is supported by the user's browser. And then you can manipulate the styles uh, that that take effect based on this compatibility. It does also support multiple arguments in. So for example, if the browser supports Flexbox and grid use these styles, if the, if the browser only supports Flexbox, use this, whatever, right now, here we go at supports is actually not supported. Here's your disparity by internet Explorer. However, because it's not supported by internet Explorer, everything inside of your at supports will be ignored by IE. So a way to work around IE support is you can write all your sort of IE code outside of your ad supports and then write your modern CSS in your ad supports. I learned all about ad supports from Web Dev Simplified. I will link the video in the description because that was a super helpful video on understanding ad supports. 
Next thing here is vendor prefixes, and you can use them when in doubt. So vendor prefix, if you don't know, is when you when you put like dash webkit dash then the property name and you keep writing out your property and set it to whatever you want or dash ms for microsoft or dash oh i think it was for opera dash moz for mozilla firefox i think there's a bunch of them now you might be like well like you know it's gonna it's gonna bloat my css and yes it does and used to i don't there's a lot of features you don't need to do this for anymore but when you're in doubt, you can use browser prefixes. So like if if you do, if you are using, a, you know, a really cutting edge CSS feature that is still in, you know, still requires WebKit. But let's say it requires the WebKit prefix in WebKit browsers like Chrome, but it doesn't require a prefix in Firefox. You might go like, well, it'd be nice to just, you know, write the property without a prefix. You can do both. You can have the prefix version and the not prefix version. And the browser that doesn't understand the prefix will just ignore that and then use the one that it, it will work. So you, you can use vendor prefixes when in doubt in order to help with your compatibility. And also with that in mind, you can use multiple of those too. So like, let's say like, you know, MS needs, needs, uh, I'm just gonna, I'm just making this up. Let's just say MS needs, um, is needed on dis- on the display property. You can do dash MS display you can, and let's say WebKit, same thing, dash WebKit display. And then you can also just write display and the browser will figure out which one it's going to use and which one, it, which one it can use. You can use, you can stack them all to kind of, have a bit of peace of mind, if you will. And this next one leans on the audience expectation management, and that is ensuring experiences are good enough. Mike just touched on this as well. So I'm just going to briefly touch on it here. Um, Instead of making sure all the modern conveniences are working for modern browsers, just ensure that their experience isn't broken. Make sure they can read, read the blog, make the order, fill in the form, submit the form, those type of things, whatever your site requires, and if it's something that is just not possible, like, oh, I know I have a full working Photoshop clone in the browser with all the modern conveniences and it needs to be IE compatible, probably not going to happen. So in that particular case, just to manage expectations, instead of just having a really janky and broken thing, you might just want to have a thing that pops up and says, sorry, this must you must use, you know, Chrome or Firefox or a modern browser in order to use this. So at the very least, they're not seeing a broken experience. They're straight up being told your browser is not compatible. So they're not they're not, you know, sat there wondering or, you know, unprofessionally really seeing a really broken experience. And Mike, the the next point here you wanted to talk about was polyfills because they've been around for years and years and years and years. So why don't you let us know what those are? Yeah, absolutely. I think polyfills is probably the final thing here uh, that helps us uh, with stuff that isn't supported. And it's less used nowadays because, again, like we mentioned, a lot of the the stuff that isn't supported isn't like super required. So you can wait. But before when stuff was coming out all the time, that's increasing your productivity by 10 times, like rem units, media queries, uh, even like text shadow stuff like all these different CSS properties that were coming out that were improving quality of life for developers, 10x. Polyfills were around, and what they are is essentially pieces of JavaScript code that would detect what browser you're using, and if it detected that you're using a CSS feature that isn't supported, similar to kind of how at support works, uh, it would use JavaScript to mimic that support, right? So like instead of using CSS for media queries, for instance, back in the day, uh, once when media queries are just coming out, it would use JavaScript to detect the width of your screen and change the width and change the width of your components and stuff like that based on the width of your screen. And it would all do that pretty automatically. Like when you create a polyfill, you kind of try to do all the little edge cases that could possibly happen. Some of them can be quite complex. 
uh, pieces of JavaScript code, but they are, are meant to be that way to help you start using new features before they're fully supported with good fallbacks. That's what polyfills are uh, for all the other browsers that are not supported. Um, again, not used too much anymore. Don't have to worry about them too, too much, but it is something like if you see it or if you hear about that word, that's what it's meant for there. I think like I think the uh, supports tag really helps with that. Like when supports came out, uh, it became less necessary for polyfills. And like, again, like the, the crazy features that we have now is just there really is no use for it. Like we, we CSS is in a very good spot right now. Like there are some really cool features coming out, like scoped is really, really awesome. Uh, nested nested CSS, like being able to do kind of SAS or SCSS without having to have that framework for the most part. There's a lot of really cool things coming out, but it's not like crucial to development, if you know what I mean. It's just like nice to haves. Well, that's actually a good point is because when I was writing this episode, I thought, you know what? A lot of beginners and myself included are not going to see these disparities anymore. Uh, especially if you're just getting started with HTML and CSS. And then myself, I've been writing like a lot of little custom modules and stuff for Webflow. So I'm using vanilla code and I'm not even really thinking about my my code. I'm not like double checking every property or whatever. I'm just going through, flipping through the browsers and checking, going, cool, it works. And that's sort of it. And the days of like, like really being stuck on browser support are largely gone. Like CSS is in a really good place, but you're hundred percent right. Like for example, your scenario where, you know, you had to stay up all night, you know, changing things to grid, those things still happen. Like there's no doubt because web technology is largely used for websites that are just like a blog that goes out and people like market on it and stuff like that. Absolutely. But it's not all, only that it's used on intranets. Some companies use it for internal communications. They use it for internal like inventory and stuff like that. Little like custom websites that are run on local web servers and, and whatnot. And so there's a lot of specific places and specific things that need to be done. We can see that when you go to like, let's say a really old code base and there's just like a line in there that just makes no sense. A line of CSS or a line of JS where you're like, why is this here? And then you have a conversation with whoever did it and you're like, oh, it's because uh, when they did this update, they broke this this property. So I did this as a workaround. Now it's just there because you know who cares? It's not affecting anything. And that's how you know, these little things kind of get sorted out. And it's like with you, Mike, it's like you didn't know about the grid thing. Then now that's sorted out. It's like, okay, now I won't, you know, grid is at the time was pretty cutting edge. Maybe I won't do that next time. So I, I just, I kind of wanted to highlight this stuff because I feel like when you're learning now, it, it isn't highlighted it's when you're just beginning, it isn't highlighted anymore. And you'll, you'll, you'll figure it out pretty soon. If you, you know, go on, if you use has, for example, and you're on an older version of Firefox, you fire up Firefox, it's not working. You're like, what the heck's going on? You look it up and you're like, oh, this is a browser thing. Oh, I've never encountered this before. I think it's very possible for a beginner to never encounter a, a browser incompatibility if they're using modern browsers. I really think that's a, that's a possibility now, which, which is just an attestment uh, to how good of a place CSS is right now is in right now but that's it i think that concludes this episode if you want to support episodes like this remember that we are on patreon and we also have a scrimble link mike entertain the people because i forgot to open my patreon document yeah yeah if you're uh if you're interested in hearing about more of what we're doing you can again check out htmlthings.com you can follow us at html everything on twitter uh, we're constantly tweeting or I'm constantly tweeting there and Matt is constantly posting stuff on htmlthings.com. All right. I have the, have the Patreon document open now. Many thanks to our $3 tier 
patrons Tim from the Web Hacker and thewebhacker.com, Jason from Geek Life Radio via geekliferadio.com, Fire Ant Season via fireantseason.com, Garrett Segal, Level Up Financial Planning via www.levelupfinancialplanning.com, and Joshua via Sil- excuse me via Silvio.us. Please leave a comment or review on the platform you're listening to this on and this outro. Well, sign us off. You've been listening to HTML All The Things Podcast. Web development, web design, and small business. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. And we hope you appreciate that we talk to you like human beings. And we hope you had some fun. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit us up on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon at HTML All The Things. And on Twitter at HTML Everything. Until next time, this is HTML All The Things. Signing off.